Coming up on the next episode of Way Down in the Hole, Van and I give out our season-ending awards. That's right. We have concluded season four. Uh, we discuss our season MVP, most improved, the worst cop, the best cop, all that and more. So tune in to another episode of Way Down in the Hole. Are you looking for a view of the world that's a bit different? Hi, I'm Jason Palmer, a host of The Weekend Intelligence, a podcast from The Economist. Join us to hear the stories that matter most to our correspondents and editors. Every Saturday, we introduce you to people and ideas that take you outside the ordinary and expand your horizons one episode at a time. Join us and see the world from a new perspective. To listen free until May 31st, search Spotify for The Weekend Intelligence. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You just pay at the register. No, man, you go ahead and handle that for me, man. And keep the rest for your time. This is $800. So what, man? You earned that bump like a motherfucker, man. Keep that shit. You want it to be one way. Man, I don't you know want it to be one man, way. Man, stop! Stop saying that. What is the other way? The kids in this school aren't yours. You do your peace with them, and you let them go. Now, who are you? Players. Kingpins? Nah. That comes later. Right now, we're just corner boys. So we know that you guys have been anticipating our usual and I almost say annual award show because when you do an award show, it's always annual, right? So, mm-hmm. but this is not annual. But for those who have been following us from day one, you know, at the end of each season, we do our own version of the awards of that season where we talk about the best characters, best bosses, MVP, a whole bunch of cool categories. Van, I guess we should have been lazy. I guess we should have named it something. Like, you know, they got the Emmys, the Oscars. Mm. Like, I don't know what to call it. Do we call this the Holies? Since we I have Holies? I was just holies? about to say, the Holies. The Holies, there we go. The Holies. Only we got took the, us four the, seasons to think of it. Season four Holies. <laughs> season four Holies. There you go. Look at that. Genius at work. It took us literally 30 mm-hmm. seconds to come up with that. There you go. So uh, we've wrapped season four. It was an emotional season. I personally think it's the best season of The Wire. Though it gets so hard between three and four that, you know, it's I often split hairs with it. But even on this rewatch, still the best season for me. Um, What in this rewatch does this season, what kind of takeaways does this leave you with, uh, Van? Um, Well, obviously, I feel like the uh, overwhelming theme is innocence lost. You're watching four kids who, in a way, have adapted to their world, their current world, and know it pretty well, but have no idea what the next year of their life is going to entail, where it's going to take them, how formative it's going to be for them, and and how they'll be fundamentally different most of the time to their detriment at the end of it. And just watching the storytelling here and how meticulously crafted it is and how you, one one episode, you basically wake up and Michael is a savage. You wake up and Duke is a truant. You wake up and Randy uh, is in the system. You wake up and Naaman has been uh, sort of saved. It just seems like it happens all at once, but it was happening the entire time you were watching it. 
you know. That plus all the machinations that are going on in City Hall, man, it is a sublime blend of tone. It's so hard to do. We keep talking about this show, man. It's so hard to do. It is a sublime blend of tone. You might watch one episode in season four and get literally Law and Order meets Saved by the Bell, meets <laughs> Paid with Full, meets all of all meets fucking the West Wing, meets all of these things in one show, and it works. Meets Hill Street Blues in one show, and it works. It completely and totally works. They expanded Marlo's character this this season. Check worked out. They gave us more Snoop and Chris. Check worked out. They established smaller, less important characters that were in, ended up being fundamental to the season, like Old Face Andre. You know what I mean? Worked out. Uh, little Kevin, smaller characters. Even Lex, smaller characters that ended up becoming integral to this season, and it all worked. There's, I can't think about anything. I can't think of, should I say, anything in season four that did not work. It, you brought up the, some of the ancillary characters in this. I was like, we should have made a category for them, like between old face Andre. I mean, even a uh, old girl, uh, Royce's assistant, who performed her duty. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> right? a lot of ancillary. I mean, but that's what makes the the wire not just so good, but that's why it's a novel. This is why yeah. this series is a true novel because it is, um, you know, you're you're taking not just major characters, but you're taking these little smaller characters who just might, they might do one or two things all season, but the way that it moves the story along is really uh, pretty special. Um, c- compared to the other seasons of The Wire, too, it's, it's said, I felt like in season four, they really got the pacing down pat. Uh, and they do such a good job of taking you in and out of believing major crimes is about to, you know, be... The, the crown jewel of the police department to, oh shit, they are completely dysfunctional and breaking up. Because it started the season with them being on the, kind of their last legs and right. it then being totally dismantled for the most part. And then we end the season with like, oh shit, they're back. And then the old gang is back. So uh, they do a good job of, of, you know, kind of really highlighting that tension between how good police work is often thwarted by the most nonsensical bullshit or just basically the bureaucracy of what is both a combination of politics and um and just you know poor leadership. So uh this was uh, but I thought it was um interesting to focus on the schools because I think the overall point of season 4 is our failures in our education system are something that happens that's the issue pretty much everywhere in this country but it's also at the same time one of the most ignored issues in America. Like we sure. we we say it you know, more performatively than anything like, oh, we need to do something about education. But then nobody really cares about education. You know what I'm saying? So this is what they wanted to highlight is like right here underneath the noses. Like Carcetti was so focused on reducing the crime rate and figuring out what's happening with the police department. Then it was like, oh, shit, the school budget, $54 million short. How'd that happen? You know? Right, 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 right. And even the commitment to doing something about the uh, educational system and what this highlights is how just daunting that is in a in a politically incompetent system is that you can't even help a lot of these kids uh, because the system is just not set up to do it. The system is set up to just move them along, move them out the way 
and bring more kids in there. You know, it's kind of like a rotating assembly line. Keep turning out the tax dollars. Yeah, pretty much. It's like this is how they they maintain kind of this educational charade, if you will. So to pick that, because I can only imagine when you that's something you pitch to a network like, I want to do a whole season on education. They're like, Fuck yeah, you. what? <laughs> like, that no. sounds delightful. Yeah, how juicy education. Woo. You know, I judge the wire on degree of difficulty. And they bring in, and they're so good at bringing in entirely new cast. But they, one thing to bring in an entirely new cast, they're bringing in an entirely new cast of young actors. Like, right. you know, children. That's who they bring in. Very green. Very green children to carry major roles and to carry uh, a show that at this point, while, you know, it didn't have the critical acclaim it deserved, it was certainly becoming m- more of a, a cult phenomenon with a lot of people. And so to change up, to completely eliminate the Barksdales, change up, shift it to these kids, uh, and even though they have a, a rising empire with Marlo, that's pretty gutsy to do. Um, to him, I think so. Yeah, this is extremely gutsy. I mean, I would say this is more gutsy. What they did in season four is 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 more gutsy than what they tried to pull off in season two. When they brought the white folks in. Right, 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 right. Because you're it, it's it, it's an interesting observation. You're banking on the performances of the kids to a degree. You got a big gulp right there? Not a big gulp? <laughs> no, this is uh this is a Wendy's Dr. Pepper. I had oh, some wow. spicy, God, I had some spicy damn. chicken nuggets. I forget. That's you know a what? lot of Dr. Pepper, my nigga. So I forget that these days, like, I'm from that generation where you ordered a large and that shit looked like a normal large. And so right. just by habit, I'll just be like, yeah, give me a large, whatever. And when she brought this shit out, I was like, damn, I could have sworn I asked for a large and not a two liter. But apparently, right. this is what <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot of Dr. Pepper. You're going to be able uh, to run the space after this. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but no, so... You're talking about it, and it's true. There's a lot of risk, and it's there's a significant degree of, I guess, creative fear there. If Khalida McCollum is even a little bit less affecting as his name and the character completely doesn't work, you know, if Tristan Wiles is even a little bit less of the actor that he is, Michael doesn't work. They had to get it right. And when you when you look back behind... I guess the curtain or the scenes, they use a lot of different tactics to make sure they got the right performances out of these kids. But whatever tactics they used, they worked because the reality is these are top flight performances from everybody all around. And, you know, really everybody's doing well, but really career defining performances on one of the best seasons of television ever. I prefer season three, but what, well, like I said, I prefer season three because I prefer the Barksdales. But season four is definitely better than season three. But season three is my favorite uh, Wire season. No, that, that makes sense. I mean, so much came to a head in season three. It, the payoffs were just so huge. I completely understand why you would uh, say that season three is is the one um, that you still consider to be the best one. All right. With that said, let's get to some of these categories. Um band that we have as we we break down the highs and I guess it's hard to say lows because it doesn't really have any lows in the wire but as we break break down the best and the worst and all things in between so let's just uh, start off with our first category who was the best boss on the wire van of season four that is Marla <laughs> you still pick you pick Marla <laughs> I mean they're well run 
They're well run, you know? Why? Did I pick Marlo last season? No, that, you didn't pick him last season, but uh, I know that you, res- yeah, I know you respect his organizational skills. To me, it's Marlo and it's not even close. Marlo had obstacle after obstacle after obstacle thrown his way this entire season, and all he did was deal with them. Marlo, this is the height of Marlo Stansfield. Remember, he didn't have major crimes on him, at least not a competent major crimes. And he was learning a lot about not just his neighborhoods, but what it meant to be the king in West Baltimore. And the learning curve was short, but it was pretty seamless. He Marlo won the Battle of Michael. He was the one everybody wanted Michael. Well, Cuddy wanted Michael closer to him. Presbo wanted Michael closer to him. Bodie wanted Michael closer to him. Marlo won the Battle of Michael, which is a big deal. Uh, he was able to delegate. And he was able to grow his empire, join the co-op, do all of these things, form allegiances. And he met the Greeks at the end. I don't see, and, and really all Marlo's people are taken care of, you know, besides fruit. Uh, all of Marlo's people are taken care of, are respected, the entire deal. So to me, you know, obviously he's not a great boss to work for. <laughs> right. You might <laughs> you know die. I mean? I mean, right, right. Other, other but, than the fact that the smallest infraction and you were probably going to get killed other than that. But <laughs> I would say I got to go with Marlo, best boss, man. Marlo. I do not, uh, I can't disagree with any of your logic. When you, mm-hmm. look, we, we both said that between the two organizations, uh, the Barksdales and the Stanfield organization, that Marlo's organization was better run. Um, he had better goons. Uh, he had more authority. He had more soldiers that just fell in line. He didn't have a stringer bell. He didn't have to really worry about that, even though Chris was the closest thing to it, as in somebody he kind of bounced things off of. But I, he never, Marlo was never looking for permission to do shit. No. And, you know, I think he believed, and his actions showed this, that he was the only person that he could trust. And he weeded out all of his enemies. He out the way he outsmarted Avron um, from start to finish, and ha- frankly, outsmarted the police. You know, I mean, he, outsmarted Avon and outtoughed Avon. Yeah, yeah, he did both because yeah, you know, he outsmarted him. And when it came to actual on the street work, and in terms of putting in work, he was he was about that too. So, right. yeah, I mean, he's definitely the most the most comprehensive leader of season four. But I thought about this and I have a different pick because uh, I did I, I, as, I did think about doing Marlo um, as well. But I was thinking Van's probably going to pick Marlo. So I was like, let me, mm. let me take a, a, a deeper look into the authority figures. And even though he ended the season on a not great note, but I define how good you are a leader in, in terms of what you do in wartime. And I thought in, for a wartime scenario, he did pretty good. So I'm going to say it was actually Prop Joe because... Interesting. Yeah, I'm going to say it was Prop Joe because, one, he became the leader of the co-op after Stringer. It was him. Mm-hmm. Right. He was able to accomplish something Stringer wasn't, which is bringing Marlo into the co-op. Okay. Right? And his plan, although appearing to have somewhat backfired, well, it did backfire, but it still worked. Because right. Marlo came into the co-op uh, and business was still as usual. And even he faced like two very tricky situations. Um, you know, Omar figures out that he's been set up by him. 
He doesn't lose lose his life, which a lot of people can't really say that when they cross Omar. And that wasn't the first time he crossed Omar either. Then he has to make things right with the co-op so that they don't think that he's trying to run game on them, which he's able to do. And get and, them to- and made a little bit of money off that. And made a little bit of money off of it, right? Because he yeah. because he was, did you know, did you catch that? Omar sold Prop Joe the shipment back for 20 cents on the dollar. Right. Mar- Marlo said that Prop Joe sold it back to them at 30 cents on the dollar. Right. So he has, so he he had he his marked, customer he, fee. Right, yeah, right. yeah. So, yes. Mar- he, so he he got it, he probably made back what he personally lost on that robbery, but when he sold it back to them, they don't know what Omar said. So right. he marked it up a little bit. Smart man. <laughs> yeah, and not to mention, if we're going back, he made money off Omar sticking up Marlo because yeah. he got he got a percentage of yeah. that too. So, you know, say what you will, but Prop Joe makes sure he get a check out of everything. And mm-hmm. he's still, uh, for a lot of them, I mean, he's still a trusted source, you know, because he is able to, he, you know, everybody else, in his game relies on muscle, you know, um, being fierce. And that's not really uh-huh. his game. He's trying to outthink you. He's a critical right. thinker. That's why he's in charge. So even though, as I said, I know that it didn't end on a high note for him, I thought given some very dicey situations in the end, and oh, by the way, despite the fact the police have torn down the Barksdales, he has been able to survive and he had the plug. He had the grits. Yeah. He he's got the direct. He's got the direct connect. Despite the fact they took down the union, what still happened? They still running drug, drugs to prop, prop Joe. Yeah. So sure. he, uh, yeah, he was able. He's been able to build and maintain an empire. He got longevity in this game, and and there's a reason. Um, okay, so uh, Van says that Marlo was his uh, pick for best boss. Prop Joe was mine. Uh, who's the worst boss <laughs> in season four? You know what? It's a weird. Weirdly competitive category. It, I, it was straight. Like when I thought about it, I was like, "Wow, there's a lot of options here." It's a weirdly competitive category. Um, so I had a lot of people that I wrote down. You can always go with the tried and true, which is Rawls. Okay. Yeah, Rawls I feel like Rawls is too done. easy, man. Rawls is way too easy. Burrell's kind of too easy. Burrell is too easy. Um, there's a lot of different people you can go with, but. There's one person I have to go with, and it pains me to do so. The worst boss of this season was Bodie. Bodie! Not your man's. Not my guy, bro. Not your man's. Explain yourself, man. Bodie, through no fault of his own, Bodie was at his weakest in this season. His For absolute sure. weakest. Bodie had been depowered. Bodie had a strip. Strip had no life on it. Bodie ended up building the strip up. Marlo came in and scooped it from him right there. Cut his profit in half. Not in half. Gave him 40%. 60-40 is what he was getting. Bodie then lost Michael. Couldn't convince Michael to stay around, stick around, do, do, do the thing with Bodie. Right? Bodie also then gave the poor advice to his number one lieutenant, Lil' Kevin, which is probably not poor advice, but... If you're dealing with Marlo Stansfield, maybe it is poor advice, or maybe there was no advice he could have given. Right, because at the end of the day, Marlo knew he had been in jail. So. Right, so who knows? But in a rocking and hard place, it was still Bodie who told Lil' Kevin to go talk to Marlo. Marlo ends up getting killed. Bodie just wasn't in very much control 
uh, right. this season. Because- and, and and because he didn't have very much. And as as bosses go, that made him kind of impotent. So and my man, my favorite character uh, of all, wasn't a great boss this season. But looking at it objectively, it's a strong case. Because the other thing, too, remember, he also gets punked by Delanda, name his mom. Over and, and over to- again. Over and over again. Into, and, and granted, I know that was more about Weebay than anything, but he gets pressured into giving somebody, giving Naaman a package, and he's not good at this. Right. And he knows he's not good at it. And sometimes part of being a boss is that you got to stand up in those moments and do what's best for the organization. And it was not to have Naaman there. Right. It's true. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. So ah, it hurts my heart that you said it, but at the same time, facts is facts, as they say. Facts is facts. So my choice for worst boss is Principal Vice Principal Donnelly. She's I was terrible. a good one too. I thought about her as well. Yeah, she's terrible. Um, you know, she. I was reading something um, about this season, and they made a comparison. And uh, the the author said that she was the female version of Landsman, and I was like, is oh, she that wow. bad? I don't know if she's that bad. I don't know if she's that bad. And yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah. she's bad. But she does at times show an interest in education, in the kids. But like Landsman, he don't give a damn about solving nothing. Like, right. Well, like, he gives a damn about clearing things, not solving. Clearing things. Yes, you're yeah. right. He gives, uh, what he gives a damn about is self-preservation, keeping his job, doing whatever the bosses say, and just licking as many boots as possible. Right? Ooh, so company man. So, yeah, he's a, he's a company man through and through. She's not, she's a company woman, but it's, uh, I think the the more upsetting thing is obviously how she handled the Randy situation. Like, mm-hmm. that was, sure. that was terrible. Telling prayers not to get too attached to the kids. Then, you know, she sends Cuddy out uh, to be a truant officer, not because she really cares about whether or not these kids are actually attending school, but it's so that they can be there for count days so that they can maintain their funding. So everything she does, she acts as if, whether or not a dollar is made or missed directly impacts her pocket. Right. You know, like she literally it probably impacts it probably impacts her job though. It, it, yeah, I'm sure it impacts her job, but it's just like, you know, she's just so um she's so uh invested and loyal to a shitty system. Right. But mostly it was the fact that despite all the things that she knew about these kids, there was a part of her just in sometimes how she talked about them that she clearly looked down on them. And for as much as she knew about how they have very volatile home situations, for her to still put Randy in that position, I get it that she has to answer to people, but um, to to force some kid to snitch and then involve the police, it's just like, okay, what are we doing here? Yeah, so, yeah. and, and kind of not be aware of the way things go on the street and right. what was going to happen. It just seemed a little bit short-sighted to me. And not not predatory, but in a way... Just neglectful that she did yeah. that to him. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we have our best boss and our our worst bosses. Uh, now let's talk about who do you think was the best youngin this sa- this season? I mean, come on, man. It's a lot of it, choices. The best youngin? Yes, it's a lot of choices, man. Do it, Michael. That's not a, that's not a gimme. Look at this. It's, Look at, this is a this is a okay. strong field, man. A strong Michael, field. Michael, Michael. Okay, so when you say best youngin, are you talking about 
best in terms of the show, best acting job, best whatever, because this is a new category, so we should just yes. say this. Yeah, I mean, I would say that however you, uh, if you want to define it as as the best actor, if you want to define it as, you know, the character who was the most meaningful to the season, maybe that's a better better way, the, the younger that was most meaningful to the season. Okay, younger right. that was most meaningful to the season, still Michael. But I will, but still I will tell Michael. Still, still Michael. But I'll tell you this though: the young and with the best performance uh, is Julio McCollum, his name. He that's by far the young and with the best performance. But I would say that the one that's the most important to the season, uh, I, I would say, is Michael. Michael is the only one to me that was able to sort of uh, do things in some to some degree on his terms. Rather than have a bunch of things inflicted on him, he kind of did things on his terms. So if you say, you know, young and Michael, only one that Jay Z put in a Rock Boys video, you know what I mean? So like Michael, the only one that <laughs> for they, whatever they, that means. <laughs> Jay Z watched The Wire and he was like, "Yo, that's the one I want." But I, overall, if we're talking about acting, it's Julio McCullum. Right. Uh, but Randy's right there too. But if we're talking about overall and what they meant to this season, and to me, which kid the story was told ah, see that's kind of a there's really not even one of them that the story was told better through uh, than the other they all had such differing diverging storylines and trajectories but I, I still I go with Michael uh, and I didn't certainly mean to make that sound like that was some kind of bad choice but I don't think it's just as easy and obvious as you say okay Michael has the inside track because he is, this is just the start of his storyline. So we know w- how important it is to The Wire, period. And it's really important. But that said, just keeping it to season four, I feel like this is when you try to make the distinction between the MVP with the, the MVP and the finals MVP. Like the MVP, right. it's a regular season award. So this is my regular season choice, <laughs> if you will. I'd actually have to go with Randy because... Interesting. Okay. I, I do think it was Randy... I'm looking at this from a storyline, also an acting, acting standpoint. Randy's storyline, because of how much shit it creates around it, and the ripple effect of that is enormous. I have to agree with that. And he faced the most what-ifs of anybody. Like, the slightest little different decision, and he does not wind up in that. Like, essentially, let's just unpeel it. If he isn't lookout for the boys going into the bathroom with the young lady. He's never in a position to have to, to have to uh, snitch. But even if that happens, if Carver doesn't hand his situation to Herc, if Carver just sees it all the way through, then maybe he's not in a position where he has to be confined to his home, which then gets firebombed and he winds up in a group home. Right. right. So no, you're when, right. Yeah. When you look at the fact that his story started, um, you know, with this, or at least what was established early on was that he had been in a group home. So he knew that he he had experienced so much worse and he was doing everything that he could to try to uh, make sure he kept with his foster mother. And so for his, for his story to end with him back in the group home with his foster mother in intensive care after suffering second and third degree burns, like that was some shit. Yeah. No, nah, I mean, you're right. It, it, it was a lot. It was the most dramatic. Randy just ended up being, I, I, you make a compelling case. Randy ended up being a top flight victim, and I guess Michael didn't. So if I'm thinking about which one of the youngins was the, that's kind of, I'm, I'm kind of looking at it in a dual way, 
from all of the respects that you just that you just named, but then also as a sort of a who who which young and won the season type of deal. <laughs> right. um, so no, I get it. Your, your points will taken. All your points are will taken. Yeah, uh, and and you know what, Randy, you know, um, hurt <laughs> gets fired. It's like a whole. It's like a whole list of things happened just because of what happened to him. So I thought, and then just from a performance standpoint, I'll just say from purely acting, I don't know if he owned as many scenes as as Michael did because Michael in every scene is, he has such a presence that he's able to own all of them. But um, I just thought his storyline was was really, in, in a weird way, kind of strangely underrated. They were all good. I mean, Naaman, yeah. Daquan, like, I mean, this is an exceptional group of youngins. All right, with that being said, uh, since we said who's the best youngin, just in terms of type of character or character, not like as in there's no poor actors in this. Who was the worst youngin of the season? Kennard, move on. But hands down. It's like, it's not yeah. even close. It's like, it was easily him. Biggest asshole child of all time, right? Not even Donut. Like Donut, he, he was playful. He was comedic. You know, Donut just wanted to like steal some cars. You know, he should have been an NASCAR driver. Drive around a little bit. Yeah, yeah that was it. Kennard, asshole. Like that kid, the worst. And <laughs> like, it's not trust. over. Yeah, and it's not over. Like, ah, terrible, terrible child. Uh, I was like, why did Walker ever get a hold of him and whoop his ass? Like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I know, Canard is the Tariq of season four. <laughs> exactly. He's the same season. thing. Boy, Tariq's Tariq so of season four. Hey, uh, right. There's, there's no poor Tariq. Right. No, yeah. I, 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 would, I would never feel sorry for that kid. Uh, all right. Uh, now let's talk about the cops. Who do you think was the best cop this season? It's tough. It is. There's like there's there are a lot there are not a lot of great moments um, for the police in this season, and it's it really it's really tough. But I'm going with Carver. That's what I had too. I think he's the best cop this season. I'm going with Carver because Carver seems to wake up and try. You know, this season he doesn't. He is not effective in doing a lot of the things that he wants to do. Although, like I like I mentioned last episode, he was effective in not turning Naaman in. Like, so, like, if if Naaman, who knows how Naaman's life changes if he gets sent to baby booking. If Naaman gets sent to baby booking at that point, maybe he gets hardened, maybe he gets exploited to a degree he can't come back from. Who knows what Naaman finds out about himself if he has to go to baby booking. So Carver actually was very, very useful in that. But just, even though the Randy situation didn't go the way that it, that it was supposed to go, I think Carver learned a lot about his community and about what his work meant this season. And that goes a long way to me uh, for him being the best cop of the season. Even though the Randy situation hurt for a lot of reasons, he felt personally responsible. If you think about what Carver's batting average was this season in terms of kids he helped, it far outweighs. I mean, the, 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 the loss of Randy is huge, but he had a pretty impressive batting average overall, you know, for the kids that he helped. I mean, this all starts with him and and Amsterdam and trying to get the kids to to I mean he got the the low level dealers to take care of these kids while yeah I mean that's that was the starting point for this right. um which leads to you know he directly helped to amplify Cuddy's boxing program right. right so he's able to funnel kids there and like while they don't all stick with it the whole point is that he gave them he directly led to them having kind of a, a bit of a home, a se- you know, right. a second home, if you will. The success of Naaman balances against the the failure of Randy. So overall, like Carver, he he did a pretty good job, but mostly like his evolution and him becoming a character that you want to root for 
uh, who has some heart and some texture. Like, I, I definitely thought he was the best cop. Now, to me, this was the much tougher category. Who was the worst cop of this season? Hurt. Okay, it's still hard, though. But go ahead. I mean, it is hurt. It's hurt. It's hurt. But I'm telling you, man, Walker? I don't know, man. <laughs> no, I'm going to be honest with you. You make a point. Yeah. You make a point. I see the thing with me, this is the difference between Herc and Walker to me. I said this before. Walker is a criminal and Herc is a terrorist. Criminals hurt individuals. Terrorists hurt entire systems and entire groups and entire things. So I think that's kind of the difference. Walker is hurting individual, doing terrible shit now. Breaking kids' fingers, doing stuff like that, doing horrible stuff. But in this stealing situation, from man, a, a drug addict like stealing <laughs> so from a drug ter- addict, the whole so nine, he's just terrible. But hurt through his incompetence and you know his selfishness, really ends up destroying so many gigantic things that people are trying to work on and setting things back in such a way. So I, I think it's I think it's hurt to me. I, like I said, I think hurt is the villain of season four. Yeah, it, it it was tougher than I than I imagined because it it just it was a two man race. It was either him or or Officer Walker. But I I will say that o- Officer Walker was able to largely be an asshole in a vacuum, but because it was just it was he was a, a lone wolf out there, um he you know doing all the shit that he was doing to the kids. It was just him, and while it did make hell on whoever wound up in his crosshairs, generally speaking, his savagery was just kept to himself. But with Herc, it is the consequences. You know, he ruins, Rand- he ruins Randy's life. Little Kevin gets killed fucking around with Herc. Right? Her. Little yeah. Kevin gets killed. Ruins Randy's life. The Like, and he makes political trouble for everyone. Right. Like, Karketi, like, he, the ripple effects from Herc's incompetence. And then... Hurt, unlike Walker, Hurt does himself. Hurt does himself. I will say this. Walker did get a lot of people in Baltimore jacked up. Remember, because when the kids get revenge on Walker, the cops go out and then they roll on everybody. Remember when Bodine? So there is Walker. There are some ripple effects. But Hurt steals the camera. Hurt gets himself jammed up. He killed He killed everybody and then killed himself. Right, yeah. He gets Hurt. fired, yeah. I mean, yeah. So it's, it's, it's utterly ridiculous. And not to mention... There, he completely, while I guess you could say it's because of him, he helped them solidify the tie between the nail gun and the vacant houses. And so, you know, one hand, he deserves, I guess, a little bit of credit. All he's doing is remembering the incompetent shit that he that he did. But he really sets back their investigation because he didn't tell anybody about Randy. Right. And that could have been, they could have gotten up on Marlo in a wiretap a lot sooner and way he, yeah, way sooner. He he threw a, a major wrench in their case. So, given all the chaos he created, it would have to be hurt. But it it, it was a tough choice between him and Officer uh, Walker, who just he just me for no damn reason. It's just like what, why, <laughs> you know? It's a jerk, uh, man. He's a he's a total jerk. Um, and at least with Herc, you could say, okay, there was some, you know, payback for him because Bubbles got him really good. He winds up getting fired as with Walker's like he deserves a lot worse than paint. Right. <laughs> I'll say that. Yeah, not for sure. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Now, what is essentially the most difficult category, I think, um, whenever we do these awards, I think it's choosing the best scene or moment from this season. Ugh. Um, the best scene or moment from this season to me is not Bodie's death, but it is a scene between McNulty and Bodie uh, right before then, like we talked about, where Bodie and then Bodie and McNulty are eating. And I'm biased. Bodie's my favorite character in the history of the show. But the reason why that's the best scene is because um, Bodie gave his own eulogy. I've been out there since I was 13. I ain't never fucked up a count. Never stole off a package. Never did some shit that I wasn't told to do. I've been straight up. But what come back? Hmm? You think if I get jammed up on some shit, they'd be like, all right, yeah, Vody been there. Vody hang tough. We got his pay lawyer. We got a bell. They want me to stand with him, right? Where the fuck they at when they supposed to be standing by us? I mean, when shit goes bad and it's hell to pay, where they at? Rarely in television shows, and especially not in life, do people get to do that? If Bodie was writing his eulogy, that's what he would have written. He would have said, I've never done this. I've never done that. I've been a soldier. I've been this. I've been that. I've been that. That's, And so he eulogized himself uh, in that scene. And then, of course, you know, we lost the character a little while after that. And it's just the culmination of Bodie's death is not just the death of a character in The Wire. It's the death of that idea. Right. Because remember, Bodhi had the idea that a smart ass pawn could be king. And the way that scene leaves off during that time, you almost think about it because it doesn't leave off with D'Angelo's response. No, that can't happen. That doesn't happen. That very rarely happens. It it leaves off with Bodhi's the look off Bodhi's face. And then, you know, for a couple of seasons, you see Bodhi rise. You see Bodhi rise. You see more stuff happen for him. But it comes back to being exactly the way D'Angelo said it was. And it's a full circle moment that is four seasons in the making. And to watch the character, to watch J.D. and Dominic West go back and forth and, and sort of navigate through that, um, there are going to be scenes in this, in, this, in this season that are way more weighty. And for a lot of people, way more memorable. But for me, that is the best scene of this entire season. That's a great scene to choose. And... And then they do it in an unlikely way of showing the shared experience and commonality between him and McNulty. Two people I don't think you ever would have guessed had what they had in common, but they were both two people who had been chewed up by the system. All soldiers. Yeah, exactly. They they remained extremely loyal to a system that was never going to do them any good. That speech that Bodie gave McNulty, not only, of course, was the 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 exclamation point of what D'Angelo was trying to tell him and Wallace when he taught him how to play chess. It was also reminiscent of when Lester told McNulty, the job is not going to save you. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, this is a continuing theme, is that understand that this is not going to do anything. Right. Yeah, so uh, that was pretty powerful. And just to see, I mean, frankly, this is the most human that Bodie has been in this whole series. I mean, it was it was in season four because after he lost little Kevin, because we are used to, you know, Bodie pretty much 
understands how things go. He understands that murders have to be done, that you have to um, sort of keep a tight, tightly run organization. But something in him broke when little Kevin got killed. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, he wasn't even, he didn't, I mean, he wasn't bent up at all over Lex, right? No, not at all. And by the way, I just thought about it. That's another person he gave some advice to who didn't follow it. Because he told Lex, stop messing with your baby mama. Right. He told, yeah. he told him that. He's like, yo, yeah. you need to leave her alone, man, because like she don't want you stop fucking with her. Right. Didn't follow instructions. Lex, Lex got what he deserved at the end, though. Lex was fucking stupid. Yeah. Like, like Lex, come on, Lex, man. Lex brought up in daylight, and then you're going to tell Snoop, I didn't do it? Of course they know you did it. Everybody <laughs> know you did it. Right. Like, what are you talking about? Just ridiculous. So for me, the best scene of the season is when Bunny took the kids to Ruth's Chris. Mm. That's a great scene. Um, because it, and the, I would say the starting point is not necessarily when they're in the restaurant. It's when they're on the way over. And they are, their eyes are being, number one, they're experiencing something really unique in their school history, which is they're actually being rewarded for doing something right. And we know this has not happened to this group a whole lot. Uh, and so the wonderment and the excitement that they had in the way, on the way to the restaurant by listening to Billie Holiday and being just intellectually curious and being kids and not having all the weight and trouble that normally follows them, only to have all of that sucked out when they were put in an environment they didn't understand and to watch them kind of realize that they, what they didn't know and for it to set in that for as much as, as they think they're adult, for as much as they think they got the world figured out, they don't have anything. And to watch that just kind of kill their self-esteem in real time, it was extremely powerful. Right. Uh, Amazing, so when, yeah. Yeah, so when I think about season four, I definitely think about um, that scene probably... You know, the most. I mean, it's easy to name the killing scenes, I think. You know, of course, like when when Chris kills Bug's dad or Sherrod dying. I mean, those are yeah. those are all heavy scenes as well. So I'm not trying or to... Al or Albert. Any scene involving yeah. death, Albert and his mother. Yeah, yeah. all those are I mean, effective. those but are all for me, very... Right. Yeah, those are all very, very gripping scenes. But the one, I think, that I felt like that scene made so many multi-layers to it that, you know, it was... Uh, it, it was definitely my favorite of the season. All right. Uh, now on to some of our individual awards again. Uh, who is your rookie of the year? I mean, look, I could go back. To, it, it's easy. I could go back to the well here. But I, I think it's Michael, man. Like giving Michael two awards, doubling up. I think Michael's the rookie of the year. I think Michael was became the most compelling of the kids. He was the strongest of the kids. Uh, I, I think as far as newcomers to the show, it, I think the rookie would have to come from the flock of kids. To me, personally, it'd it, it have to. And if I'm choosing from them, best youngin' and rookie of the year in this particular year are going to be the same choice for me. Michael's going to double up. So I'm, <laughs> I'm, going, I'm giving it to Michael. A great choice. Um, I, I guess it's one of those things where I know people were, say, upset that LeBron didn't win regular season MVP. Although that's very much colored by how everybody saw the playoffs play out. The fact that Giannis got sent home early and everybody's like, oh, you know, the narrative is just not with LeBron. They don't care about who's actually the best player in the world. They just care about the narrative. The fact that Giannis looks completely impotent in the playoffs every time we get to the playoffs. It just, he looks totally different. You don't think that's true? No, I, I understand why people feel that way. I just blame the NBA saying, give out the damn awards earlier. 
How about the last day of the season or the, the next day after the last day of the season? Give out the mm. awards. Ah. Yes. The, the problem is not... Because I do think you have to take into account a whole season, right? In the playoffs, there's only a certain number of teams you're competing against. The regular season, you're pretty much competing against everybody, right? So, yeah, I mean, I understand the need to make the distinction. The, the bad thing is, is the timing of the award, not actually the award itself. So all that being said is that, you know, people are comparing it to Michael Jordan and how Michael Jordan could have won it every year and, and the media went out of their way to give it to Carl Malone. They don't say that as much about Barkley, but they definitely say it about Carl Malone. So I guess I'm going to be guilty of doing the same thing. Michael, very easily, I, I on, on the Vegas board, he is probably the heavy favorite to win MVP next season. So me knowing oh. that made me <laughs> more reluctant to give Michael any awards, despite the fact that I think he's a, a special character and dynamic. My rookie of the year, I'm going to actually give it to Daquan. That is my rookie of the year. Aww. Call it a sentimental pick. It's all good. It's a, it's a sentimental pick, but I, <laughs> yeah. I love Duquan, man. I yeah, love I do too, because he, uh, despite the hellhole that he lived in, he softened, he softened that crew, mm-hmm. right? You know, humanized he, him. He humanized it big time. And yeah. he, he also had the self-awareness and the selflessness to know that his contribution sometimes was being the punching bag. Yeah, was being the person that he was, they could he make He was their of. stress ball. Yeah, I mean, I, I think back to to when, um, you know, they were, I think this is when they were uh, orchestrating the plan to throw the pee balloons on their rivals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, you know, and Neymar was like, nobody can talk shit about Dookie, only we can talk shit about Dookie. And it's like, right. that's how they looked at him. And right. even um, uh, I'm reminded of, of after, you know, Neymar had, after he had run away from uh, when when Mike beat up Kennard and he was, or I think it was before then, but uh, I forgot what Michael that had exactly done. I'm trying to think about it. But when uh, he was talking to, uh, or he was trying to, to, to fill out Mike, who clearly had lost a bunch of respect for him. I feel like this was Kennard, after Kennard, that Mike had lost respect for him and he wasn't even talking to him. And then he starts picking on, on Daquan and Daquan is just looking at him like, okay, I know my role. I know that you're only picking on me because something has gone wrong and now I'm an easy target and low-hanging fruit. But he was such a, a, a sweet kid and the, just to see his world opened up, his relationship with Press Belusky, and then the sadness of him having to move on to high school um, and not really being emotionally ready is that, I mean, this is a, a storyline that I would say for five and, you know, we'll go over when we get to the start of season five, how I feel about five, but you guys have probably heard me say it's my least favorite season of The Wire. He was one of the bright spots of five. And and I feel like, you know, of all the characters, because he wasn't central, his storyline was ancillary. He had to work a little bit harder for the attention. And I thought he, do- he did that exceptionally well. So that so Duquan is my rookie of the year. Uh, now let's talk about most improved player. Who you got, man? It was a tough category. It is very tough. It, it, in, in this particular season, I really do think that it was a tough category. I'm going to tell you who it came down to for me. Came down to Carver who is the lead runaway favorite for it. But it also came down to Carcetti, who was learning, learning more about everything. Not that okay. he, he was making some decisions um, and things like that. And then for me, it also came down to Marlo. Marlo, who was, who was doing more. And I had McNulty in there as well. 
So because, you know, McNulty and living his new life and all of that stuff like that. And I haven't made my decision as to who the most improved player is until right now. I have all the names written down right here on my trusty note sheet. And when I think about them all, I'm going to go with McNulty. I think that McNulty is the most improved player because I think McNulty has done something, albeit perhaps maybe temporarily, that is very tough for characters on the show to do, is McNulty has found, or for the most part of the season, McNulty found peace. And very rarely in The Wire do any of these characters get a chance to find any peace. Very rarely do they get a chance to find any peace. And McNulty was able to find peace in this this season. Uh, he, He had his life. He had his drinking under control. He was still doing meaningful police work. Now, he he ends up scratching that old itch towards the end of the season. But for the most part, McNulty's life, the quality of life, who he was, his standing around people, all of that stuff vastly improved this season. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's it's hard to deny him. You know, we we saw in previous seasons that he might go through small periods where he was not completely self-destructive. But season four is the longest stretch that he went through where he was not self-destructed. And he was actually a pleasure and a joy to whoever he was around. You know, the the not drinking, remaining faithful to Beatty, building up a home life with her, uh, improved interaction with his kids, ex-wifey looking at him like, you know, I'm going to leave this door cracked. (laughs) You know, so McNulty came a long way. He definitely came a long way. But that's being said, and I agree, this is an exceptionally difficult category. The two people that I consider the most for it were Presbalewski and Naaman. And mm. and ultimately, I wound up going with Naaman because, you know, you look at starting points to ending points. And the starting point was an insecure kid trying to be his father, trying to live up to a reputation he didn't have, he didn't really want at the, at the end of it, um, d- dealing with uh, a verbally and physically abusive mother. Um, there were so many things against Naaman and for him to come out of that and really be able to see that he was capable of so much more and that he didn't need to run the streets to feel validated. It it was just a nice full circle moment um, just seeing his growth and development. But it was tough because Prez, I mean, he starts uh, the season as an unsure teacher who's not really connecting with the kids and then he's like their favorite teacher by the end of it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and one of the best teachers in the school. One of the best teachers in the school. He's changed a lot of kids' life, and he he gets them. And not only that, he protects them. I mean, right. the way he tried to protect Randy once he realized, you know, that putting him in the hands of his former cop buddies was a mistake. Uh, you know, it, it it was clear that that Prez that he started to understand um, the significance of his role in these uh, kids' life. So for me, um, but still, I'm, I'm going with Naaman. Um, all right, now on to uh, Defensive Player of the Year. <laughs> Burrell. Burrell, huh? Mm-hmm. Burrell and- is the one character that had everybody coming for him. Rawls wanted his job. They were trying to give the job to Daniels, fly him up there, but Burrell, wily as ever, defended his position as the commissioner of the police of Baltimore. To me, this was the easiest one. Burrell was defensive player of the year because he defended what he had been on the show for the last four seasons. Yeah, I mean, he defended his own incompetence. It was really beautiful to watch. Right, it's true. 
Yeah, no, good choice. But I feel like there's only one man who usurped him. And this man, I, honestly, you could aim a missile right at him. And I think it bounced off because he I is know, that I know you're talking about. Teflon. It's Clay yeah. Davis, man. Clay Davis. Clay, Clay Davis. Davis. Clay he, Davis. He could cheat everybody and they still let him in the room. I mean, right. the fact is he straight up cheated Carcetti. You know, he Carcetti pays him 20 grand to supposedly grease some palms and inc- increase his standing in his district. He just takes the money, steals Max Royce, <laughs> and then comes back to Carcetti like, hey, man, I was just kidding. I was just, right. I was just bullshit, man. This is really... And Carcetti still gives him his ear. Mm-hmm. And then he's further playing both sides against the middle by with this whole Daniels Burrell Raw situation. So Clay Davis, man, he he is a legend and a scholar. And, right. and nobody grifts the way this dude grifts. He got Stringer Bell's money. He got everybody's money. Ain't taking an L yet. He might be undefeated. He really might be. <laughs> Clay Davis is undefeated in, in right. the wire. Nobody plays like he is. He is Ben Wallace. He is Anthony Davis. Like, nobody plays defense better than Clay Davis. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Now, uh, on to uh, six man of the year. Who you got, man? Six man is Omar. Mm. Omar is existing outside of the main storyline here. Omar is not, he doesn't really insert himself into the game until late. You know what I mean? He's, Omar spends a lot of time watching. Omar spends a lot of time looking. It's not like it is in past seasons where capers that Omar have pulled off have pulled off are super integral to the main plot line. Omar's really off doing some other shit. They're mm-hmm. tapping in Omar, giving you a break from other stuff. He's spelling different storylines. Now, what he's setting up now, Omar's whole, in a lot of ways, Omar's entire existence in season four is a follow it away for later. Follow it away for season five. You know what I mean? So, right. but to me, when you look at six man, not as much screen time, not as much onus, but delivering every time is Omar to me. That's how I define this category as well. Somebody who you don't have to run any plays for. They're just going get, to get rebounds and putbacks and they good, right? So this also came down to two people for me. Um, one was Cuddy. Um, right. Oh, Cuddy, he's barely in it. Yeah. he's Cuddy's barely in it, but the, the significant role that he plays in terms of Michael's storyline is still is still strong. And and it, plus, you know, got a little romance going at the end. Romance? Yeah. And when you think about growth, it's like he went from, you know, trying to basically run through everybody's mama, <laughs> right? He was a real motherfucker at the beginning of the season. <laughs> Absolutely. He was. Literally. So he's trying to do all that, learns from that, apologizes. And what what's so great about his character is that he he is somebody who has learned the value of owning your shit. So when he blows up at Michael after he slaps Naaman repeatedly, you know, by the way, is that, that's gotta be one of the like top five most disrespectful things to do to like a man, right? It's like, well, you you don't even punch him. You just slap the shit out of him. I'll probably have somebody shoot at you. If you slap me with an open hand. Yeah, I'm not even gonna like come, another I'm dude. Not even, like if a woman slaps you, that's different, right? But like no, that's that's happened. That's like you gotta <laughs> you 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 just gotta run away. You know when that happens, you just run because when you get slapped by when you get slapped by a woman, there's nothing I'm going to do. So I literally flee. That's okay. That's the time that's okay to run. If you get if you get if she getting mad and you just you just run, get your keys, run out the house. That's what you do. Turn around. Don't don't. Oh man, you gotta shake her. Don't touch her. 
Don't no, give you even near. People say stuff like that. No, there's no shaking. There's no touching. I'm not even going to look at you in a menacing way. No physicality coming from the kid. I'm out. Out the door. Boom, boom. Bye-bye. You know what I mean? See you. And I might, I might end up calling the police on you. That's what <laughs> right. I might do. I might get to a sanctuary, a place where I feel safe, a place where I know that like, I don't have to worry about your violent tendencies and call the police on you. I don't know if this if if I'm triggered now if this has happened to me in the past you know maybe I've been smacked once or twice by women but that's okay, but um I I I will say this what were we even talking about Oh yeah because I said if a dude slaps you like it's a totally different connotation No but but if a dude if a dude slaps me right open and for some slap. reason open hand slap and for some reason I can't get to him like he gets broke up broken up the revenge the revenge of fists is not a revenge I gotta have somebody go shoot at you not kill you. <laughs> Right, just shoot well, at you. But they gotta, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta pay one of my homeboys EBT bill back in Baton Rouge, and then have them come or not, you know, pay EBT bill, but pay them off and have them come shoot at you. I, I have to slap me with an open hand, with an open, and, and Mike slapped him multiple times. Oh yeah, it's like he gave him the front hand and the back hand. He gave right, both. So he was like, right, was like oh. as if as if Naaman wasn't even because Mike did not Mike didn't slap Canard. No, he punched him out. He was right, like, but but Naaman for Naaman for some reason didn't even warrant a fist from Mike. Mike was sick of it and wanted to show Naaman how weak he was. Right, so he slapped the shit out of him. Nah, man, shoot that. That, shoot that was him. his way of calling him a bitch. That was right. essentially what he was doing. He was calling him a bitch. So yeah, I saw, that my, was, dad, I, I saw my dad slap a man once. For your dad is like the livest dude ever. It takes nothing, Jamel, <laughs> for him to slap somebody. Jamel, Jamel, it takes. Nothing. We used to play jokes on my father. One time, I don't know if I told you the story yet. One time, I, one time, me and my mom played a joke on my father as if the principal beat me at school. Did I ever tell you this one? No, man, like the sidebar people. Right, right. So me and my mom, we would leave. My mom would come pick me up from football practice, and we would drive to the stables to, uh, to, um, fucking <laughs> <laughs> stupid. We would drive. My mom would pick me up from football practice. We would stop. And get something to eat. Uh, and then we would drive to the stables to meet my dad. And after football, I would ride around on the horses for a little while. And then we would go home. Uh, it was a great little time in life that that lasted. Just leave, then go see my dad, then, then, then go for him. So when we're leaving, we're, we're leaving and there's a situation to where, like, well, first of all, if you get clinic at McKinley High School, but you still want to practice football, you have to take three licks from Mr. Brown. Wait, you so you went to a school, y'all actually had corporal punishment? Yes. No way. Right. So if okay. you so if you if you get a clinic and you miss practice, you can't play. So if you wanna if so if you get a clinic with detention, you know what I mean? If you get a clinic and you wanna practice, then you gotta take three licks. Mr. Brown would say, look at the Capitol. He had a he had a a a, a poster of um not a poster, a, like a, a picture of the state capitol. In his office, he say, look at the Capitol. And then you look at the Capitol, he hit you three times with a big-ass paddle. You don't have clinic, okay? So that's your choice. And you go practice football with your ass hurting. So I remember I came home, I, I, I came back, and I told my mom, I was like, yo, we should tell dad that, you know, because I, I did get a clinic one time. I was like, we should tell dad that, you know, I took three licks from Mr. Brown um, and just kind of see what he does. You know what I mean? So we pull up, and my father is riding on a horse, and uh, he dismounts in a very 
very amazing way. He's riding a horse. My dad is an amazing horseman. He's riding. He sees us. He uh, he pulls on Ruby. Ruby Ruby stops. My dad dismounts. I'm like, God damn, this nigga like Zorro. Like, shit. Like, this nigga really good with these horses. He's been doing it for a long time. He comes over, big smile. This cowboy man, shirt buttoned down a little bit, sweat, boots, the whole nine. My dad's a real man. So he comes over there. Uh, hey, boy, like when he's when he's uh when he's happy, he's like, hey boy, how you doing? I was school, I was practice. You cracked somebody today? I'm like, hey, dad, I'm okay. What's wrong, son? What's the matter? Cook cookie. My mom, cookie. What's wrong with this boy? What's wrong Wait, with your you? Your mom's nickname is Cookie. Cookie, yeah. Cookie. Oh my God. This makes everything you told me about her just so special. <laughs> right. Cookie. Cookie, what's wrong with this boy? Like, what's 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 this? What's this? What's this? What's, what's the thing? And my mother goes, Always my role, dog. Always in on it. My mother goes, do you want to tell him? And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, uh, and I'm like, yeah, I'm just a little, I'm just in a little pain because I had got a clinic. But what you got a clinic for? I was like, nothing. I was a little bit late. Look, be on time, boy. Be on time. Y'all, you got to be on time. Yes, sir. I'm, I'm sorry, but I still wanted to go to practice. So uh, I went to Mr. Brown's office and um, I took three licks with the paddle. Silence. Silence. I mean, silence. And I saw him and his, I saw in his neck, his, his, the vein was popping out of his neck. And then all of a sudden he slightly raised his head and his eyes were bugging that someone had put his hands on his shirt. And I'm like, I'm letting it, and I'm letting it go. He's not saying anything. My father carries a big 357 Magnum on his side at all times. He took the gun out. Mr. Brown wasn't there. So I don't know who was going to, I, I, I don't know who was, he took the gun out. And he's like, <sighs> I'm like, dad, I'm playing with you. I'm just joking. Ha ha ha. And, and my, my, mom is, my mom is like, Terry, Terry, we're just joking. We're, it's okay. Well, okay. And he let around go. Like he, like he puts his gun in, boom, don't you, Fucking play with me like that. I tell you what I'll do. I, you know what? I, just so just so he don't ever put his hands on you, I'm going to go up there tomorrow. I'm like, Dad, that's really not necessary. Where you going to go up there anyway? Like, 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 yeah. thinking about I, 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 I'm like, Dad, that's really not necessary. Nah, I even know they do that. I even know they do that. But I know who they not going to do that to it. They're not going to do it to fucking Terry Lathan, son. Watch. Go up there and fucking talk to Armand Dean Brown. That man ain't shit anyway. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, Dad, it's okay. Never happened. No, it's what you wanted to do. Now you got your daddy blood pressure up. Now you got, guess what you go to see? You get to see your daddy act a motherfucking fool at your school. Because I'm going down there tomorrow, and I'm going to talk to your principal, and I'm going to let him know that if it's 855 niggas at the school that he can put his hands on, now it's 854. And I was like, and I'm like, and I'm like, yo, your father is amazing. And I'm like, yo, whatever. And then like, and so we don't even ride because he's too pissed off. He's all upset. All the rest of the people that bought their horses there that were fucking around with their horses, they done ran out because they heard a gunshot. You know what I'm saying? And so mom, mom left. So we, my mom had a 93 Ford Taurus. And, um, and we were, we're, we're backing out. We're about to get back on Burbank and head home. And, and like, uh, I'm like, well, that couldn't have gone any worse. And me and mom just <laughs> laughed. Me and mom just laughed. 
And she, but she, my mom, my mom said, and mom always was about being disgusting. And she was like, well, I'm going to have to work extra hard tonight. And I'm like, oh, quit it. And she was like, well, I'm going to have to. What else do you expect Cookie to say? Cookie, she's like, I'm going to have to relax him. Like that was, he took that further than I thought he would take it. But we should have known. We, I'm not even going to tell the slapping story. I'm going to save the slapping story for, for, for next season. The slapping story was terrifying. But there's many moments of, of shit like that with my dad. And I, I shouldn't have done that to him because he was in his 40s. His blood pressure was already fucked up. I shouldn't have done that to him. But he he lost it. Anyway, that's the sidebar for wait, the awards. Just real quick, did he actually... He didn't go up to the school the next day, did he? No, because what happened was... Thank like, God. <laughs> later, later on, I was like, hey, man, for real. Like, he came home and he had calmed down. He's like, boy, why you want to do that to your daddy? <laughs> but he's like, he was like, like, boy, why you want to do that to your daddy? Why you want to do stuff to make your daddy all upset and get your daddy all mad and stuff like that? You think that's funny? I'm like, no, sir, dad, I'm sorry. But I was like, please, can you please not come to school tomorrow? Like, he was like, do we really be hitting people? I'm like, yes, but it's never happened to me. It will never happen to me. He's like, you're fucking right, it won't. I'm like, see, you're getting mad. I'm like, can you? I'm <laughs> like, I'm get like, mad at the thought. At the thought of somebody putting their hands on his son. So he's, I'm like, dad, I'm like, dad, don't worry about it. Like, please don't come to school. There's no reason to come to school. If you come to the school, it's gonna, um, it's just gonna embarrass me. Mr. Brown didn't do anything. You're gonna walk in his office and he ain't even done nothing. He's gonna freak out. Yeah, I and know. Then, you know, and then I think the Michael Jackson, Janet Jackson scream video came on and everybody got distracted because it premiered and then everybody got distracted. And I think that took all, of course. like, that's what, that's what happened. I think everybody got distracted because it was like, because my dad was like, even that, just real quick, even that, my dad was like, <laughs> my, sister, my sister was like, uh, yo, Michael Jackson and Janet Jackson dancing. And my daddy went, they dancing together? <laughs> oh my <laughs> like it was a fucking miracle. Like he's like, they dancing. I got to see this. Get up and we and we. So we we all talked about the video and all of that stuff like that. But he never. That he is never. A tremendous shout out to, story. Shout out to Mr. Brown, by the way. Mr. Brown was a good principal, but he Ooh, did. He will paddle you. Look, he will he paddle don't know you. how close he came to losing his life. Holy shit! I don't know how close. Don't know how close he came. Armand Dean Brown. I, I will say I, this is now giving me an idea that when we finish this podcast, we're going to have to do rank a top five of Van Lathan sidebars. I humbly submit that one. I humbly oh, that, submit that one. That's, that's a, a true story. Five. I got to be honest, y'all. That's a top five. That's a true story. Yeah. All of that, all, everything that you just heard to the T happened. Right. This man is crazy. He's a crazy man. All of that happened. That's all I'm saying. That and you walking in on your parents, probably. Those are, those are two memorable. <laughs> mm -hmm. And now that I know your mom's name is Cookie, so much makes sense now. Cookie. <laughs> it makes sense. Cookie Ellis. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, just to recap for people, by the way, Cuddy was not my pick um, for um, six men. My pick was actually uh, Norman, Carcetti's right-hand man. Oh, that is a it, fucking fantastic yeah, pick. Yeah, it was actually Norman Wilson, his right-hand, Reggie Cathy, because uh, one, he has that distinctive voice that's like amazing and great and I admit I'm probably a little biased because uh, I'm a big fan of House of Cards and he played a tremendous role in Hi House of Cards as well. But, mm -hmm. um, but the yeah, the way he... the He he is the type of right-hand man every politician should want. He's somebody who calls him on his bullshit, but yet he is savvy enough to help him avoid and really see clearly in certain situations, the political yeah. ramifications all the time. But he doesn't lie to him. And probably one of my favorite scenes is when... Uh, they were riding in the car together before he got elected. <laughs> and he was like, I, I still probably still vote, uh, vote against you because, you know, 
I'm with the black people. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> funny as hell. That's funny as hell. So I was like, oh, yeah, I, I, I fucks with Norman for sure. Um, so uh, there you have it for uh, our sixth man of the year. And now on to coach of the year. Who was the coach of the year? Press Belusky. Press Belusky. Great choice. Uh, it was to me, it was either came down to Pres Belusky or to Bunny. Um, because I give Bunny also credit for coaching up Carver, not really in this season, but in seasons past. But if you look at taking a, a ragtag, uh, this is not even a team yet. You know what I mean? And then making them into it like I feel like Pres Belusky was able to do that in his in his in his school. So I got that was an easy one for me, Pres Belusky as coach of the year. So uh, I actually have Bunny for mine because mm. oh wow okay. yeah yeah so that I mean both of us I, it was almost prayers as well right. I, I had the same thoughts that you did just his start to his finish but uh, you know also to 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 Bunny is like when you he was the one that gave them the whole vision for this academic project and yeah. he was able to reach these kids in a very meaningful way and not only that is that he having come off uh, Hamsterdam, he was the perfect person to try to execute something like this. And what he got out of it is is uh, custody of, um, you know, Naaman, then that will, uh, that's going to change Naaman's life. And then for him to right. go to Weebay, of all people, and convince Weebay, hardened criminal, serial murderer, to right. let him take his son, I mean, that's just, that's coaching. That's all I gotta right. say. Bunny has a way of reaching people, and his handprint is is all over Carver. And Carver owes his career to him. So, yeah, for me, it was Bunny. All right, uh, Van. Now the big moment, MVP. Who was the MVP of season four? It was almost impossible, man. It is. It's very impossible. It was almost impossible for me to like figure it out. To 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 kind of um, because there's so many different people. It's really hard to be honest with you to give MVP to any other kids. I do have a kid winning it. Oh, but it's very hard to give MVP to any of the kids. A lot of major crimes was down. I don't feel comfortable giving it to Marlo or Chris or Snoop. Interestingly, interesting that Chris and Snoop. Um, have been shut out of the awards. It's very interesting because this yeah. was their kind of... I, I thought about them for Six Man, though. That was like I thought one, about Snoop for yeah, Six Man. Yeah, I thought man. about Snoop because um, that's somebody who don't have to run a play for. She is going to dominate pretty much right. all the scenes And in. in terms of best scene, I just want to give a nod to Snoop uh, and the nail gun scene. Oh, the nail which gun is scene was a, tremendous. A, a, a tremendous, tremendous scene um, that's one of the biggest fathers away for later moments. I, it was hard to give it to one of the kids, but I did give it to one of the kids. Um, it was also difficult to find out who meant more where. You know, it was just like Bunny meant a lot. You know, Bunny was up there for me. Uh, of all the police officers, they all were kind of depowered this season. Ronnie and Daniels were kind of depowered this season. There were no easy choices. But because of that, I gave it to Naaman. Mm. That's a great MVP. That's a great MVP choice. You think that I would give it to Michael, but no, I gave <laughs> it to Naaman. That's who I thought it was going to be. I thought you were going right. to say Michael. No, I gave it to I gave it to Naaman. I gave it to Naaman because when I look at the acting performances in this season, I think Julio McCollum as Naaman was the best performance. I think they gave him so much emotional weight. He they they gave him so much to do, and he executed every single time. And 
That was the character. That's the character in many ways. The show gives him the MVP. He is the last character, him and Donut, that we see Baltimore through, you know, and he suffers the slings and arrows and because some people care and because some people didn't, um, he ends up coming out on the other side of it and not the worst for wear. We see Naaman's bad parts. We see Naaman's good parts. And at the end, the character of Naaman Bryce gives us something that the show rarely ever gives us, hope. And so because of that, I had Naaman as my MVP. Uh, those are all great reasons for um, him to get it. And yeah, I mean, it was a lot that he was carrying and especially... He was one of the few kind of remaining ties to the Barksdale organization, you know, with with Weebay being his father, which, by the way, was a, a great plot twist, you know, right. in itself. Is that the fact that it was Weebay and then having to deal with uh, his mother and, and just how the insecurities of Naaman. That was just such a yeah. such a strong point to to kind of really focus in on because it, it was through those insecurities you were just able to see so much. It was so much vulnerability in them that you understood, you know, as Bodie said, having met your mama, I see why you is the way you is. What you is, <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, so he, super strong um, candidate for that. Now, for me, um, you know, taking the 10,000-foot the view here, I looked at who who really had just a, a flawless run, not just in terms of character, but for, for actual storyline. And, and it's a name you've already said, you couldn't give it to him, but I could. But I actually chose Marlo as my MVP for season four. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I, I did choose, Mar uh, choose Marlo because this is the height of his muscle. This is the height of his organization. He has stepped fully into his power. You know, he's such a, a terrifying figure in this. And just in terms of scene command, nobody says as little as Marlo and has as big of a presence. And every True. scene he's in, you could swear he carries it like he's got 500 lines in it. And it just might be a look. It just might even be a question. You know, like, it's just, it might even just be a head nod. Right. You're like, damn, this dude is not fucking Serious. around. Serious. Serious, yeah. yeah. I mean, he is, you know, sort of the improved Terminator version of any Kingpin that they've had. Like, he, they have made the Thanos of Kingpins with Marlo. <laughs> okay? Yeah, it's true. Right? So, that kind of power that kind of reach. And um, and now that he has infiltrated this co-op, he's about to be even more powerful than ever. So it's just like, wow, it was hard for me to not go with him for MVP uh, because of, of what he means to the storyline. And, you know, looking ahead is that uh, he also, I mean, because these last two seasons are really about him versus the police him versus the other people in the co-ops. Like, it, it's a lot that's coming in Marlowe, but nobody handles it so smoothly and deftly. You know, like, he's under, he knows he's under police surveillance, like, heavy. And right. he, ain't, he ain't slowed down one bit. <laughs> he's, he's just like, all right, I just never use a phone. Now what? Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? True. And the, the, and the fact that he's still willing to do the dirtiest and grimiest of work, that's what makes him, him terrifying. He'll come right. down to the street. You know, Stringer wanted to stay away from it. Yeah, and he wants to keep Avon away from it. Marlo has no problem at all coming down to a base level to, to prove a point. So that's my MVP for season four. So we have done it, Van. We have put this whole season um, in perspective. We put it behind us. Marvelous season. I enjoyed every second of, of discussing it. A lot of uh, learns and just the quality of acting. 
I mean, the the wire is just reinforces why this is the best television drama of all time. Best show ever. Yeah, best, best show ever. We close yes. the book on what a lot of people think is the best season of the best show ever. So it's quite a thing with us. And now we get to get all geared up for Yo, another season amazing season. Season five. Season five. Yeah. Season five is the Godfather three. That's all I got to say. It's Godfather well, we'll three. Well, we'll see. Still Godfather listen to three, us. We'll, we'll... I, maybe, look, maybe it'll be a thing like with, uh, I had with season two where at the end of, I always appreciated season two, but I really appreciated it on this rewatch. Maybe I'm not so harsh on it. I don't know. I, I'm going to go in with an open mind. I'm going to try to be okay. changed. But I do think it's it's the sh- it's the shit sandwich of The Wire. That's just me. <laughs> okay. We'll see. <laughs> right. We'll see. Anyway, uh, thanks, you guys, for supporting us and hanging out with us and another season in the books. Uh, when we next convene, we'll be discussing season five. And I will try to quell my hatred for this season and be as objective and non-biased as possible. I make no promises. And you guys probably already know I'm lying. So we'll see what happens. Uh, anyway, uh, thanks for the support. Keep listening to us and keep watching The Wire. We'll see y'all next time. Bye.